Good evening, everyone. It's Deborah and Jackie. We're in the studio today. Mm-hmm. And Deb, you selected a great topic. I have yes. to say it was very interesting. You, you asked the question, why are Christians turning away from God? Mm-hmm. And I think this is so relevant today. And you put some categories out, which I love. I think they really gave a good structure to this discussion. First of all, you talk about contentment or the lack of it. Yes. And what that really means is that people are in pursuit of some kind of heartfelt satisfaction. Yeah. And, and what do you think they go after, Deb? Name a couple of things that people are constantly in pursuit of that really is uh, an aspect of modern day society and it defines people's behavior their mannerisms their attitudes well people mostly right now you know when you look through social media you don't even have to look through social media you see they're going for physical look you know they they're changing their body parts adjusting this adjusting that then it's money then it's position then it's power exactly so yep. it's it's all these things that people are looking for they're looking for new partners you know different ways to spice things up you know, so these are all the things that we're actually facing in terms of finding physical contentment as opposed to spiritual contentment. That's beautiful. So it's a never ending quest. This is it. It's, it's like they're on an expedition looking for something. They don't even know what they're looking for. They just yep. keep trying a little of this and a little of that, hoping they'll mix it all together and get the outcome they're looking for. Yeah. Now, I'm going to give a couple quotes, which I like, which really show why. Uh, we should be moving closer to God instead of farther away from him. First of all, um, Hebrews 13, 5, 6 says, I keep my life free from the love of money. I am content with what I have because God has said he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. So I say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Amen. Okay. So that's pretty powerful. And also John six thirty five. Jesus is the bread of life. I come to him and I'm never hungry. I believe in him. I trust in and rely on him and I'm never thirsty at any time. I am fully satisfied. So really, that is what contentment should mean. Well, yeah. I mean, we deceive ourselves every day when we measure our happiness or contentment in life by the amount of wealth we possess or in mere humans who hurt us or betray us day by day. And when we put riches and human satisfaction at the top of our value system, we let power, pleasure and financial security overshadow the, you know, the, the eternal value of our relationship with God. Absolutely. Yeah. That's really well said. So I think what we're getting at here is we can find all these scriptural references, uh, you know, going back uh, to Exodus, which says you should not covet your neighbor's house. You shouldn't covet their wife or anything that belongs to Mm -hmm. your neighbor, you know, and your eyes, they shouldn't be haughty. Okay. You shouldn't concern yourself with matters of, you know, wanting to pursue things that belong to other people or things that other people have, you know, dominion over in their life. You shouldn't cross over that, you know, to the point where you are constantly comparing yourself to others. You want what they have. You want to know why it is that their life works better than yours. What are they doing that you're not doing? So it's this inquiry, but there's also that envy, that resentment, that jealousy, and it's all resulting from a lack of contentment. Well, the thing is what people don't realize is that when God created us, he created us all with blessings and he's not a God to change his mind when he blesses. us. The problem is that we look at other people's blessing and wish we had their blessings, but God can provide the same blessings to everyone. He provide enough blessings that you can handle. There are some blessings you just can't handle. And so therefore that's why you don't have it. But the fact remains, if you're not content with what he provides you, in fact, the, the, the most important blessings of all is just to wake up with the breath of life where you can breathe. Because if that's not the best gift that he can give to man, I don't know what is without that you're dead, which 
which means the things that you desire won't matter. Won't matter. Yep. Very, very true. So the contentment that we're looking outside of Christ is just for our own human temporary satisfaction. And that will never be fulfilling in the end. Well, it's very transitory and it's something that you cannot build a foundation on. And I think that's why so many people feel that sense of hopelessness, Deb. They just don't have anything that they can cling to that gives them the sense that this something will always be better. Something is always around the corner waiting for me. I have that, that positive confidence in God that says the best is yet to come for me. That when I'm obedient to God and I pursue him in my life, he will provide good things for me. And I can count on that. And I can take my satisfaction from that knowledge. Well, someone once said, they say money can't buy love, but it sure helps to keep me busy. <laughs> it does. It you does. know, but the fact remain like God's love and doing his will is so much more. It's so much more important than anything else that we can actually do in this lifetime. You'll find true happiness if you put your relationship with God above earthly temporary riches and pleasure. Yeah, that's beautiful. Now let's move on to the second one, which is a lack of leadership. Mm -hmm. Now I would like to say, Deb, that I think that this is really profound because let's face it, the church today is involved in a lot of scandals mm -hmm. and people have a right to be concerned about who's at the helm. What are their value systems, you know, that allow them to perhaps sweep things under the rug, mm -hmm. to ignore things or not address them within the hierarchy of the yes. church? So, you know, as people who are expected to attend an institution and, and believe in its values, you know, how can you shut them out of certain things or close off other areas and basically say, well, you know, we won't discuss this or we won't pursue this. People feel cheated. Yeah. You know, they feel angry because they're excluded at a certain level. Yeah. And you know what? The church should be a place of humility. It should be a place where like a family, we, we all come to the dinner table and everything is open. We're not because we are our brother's keepers. Yes. We're not supposed to be talking about each other behind the back. We're not supposed to, you know, be littling anybody. We're supposed to be upholding people because we should be leading by example. And when unbelievers see the way that we react to each other, how could they even say, well, I want to be a part of that church or I want to be a part of that group? You know what I mean? Yep. Because the, the fact remains, when you become a leader, it means that you have a certain ability to lead. You don't just get it because you look good or you're rich or you're popular. That's not, that's not what leadership is. It means you have to have that integrity. You have to have that personality. You have to, and plus you have to be a man of God. You have to be willing to accept responsibility. And I think that's what's missing yeah. in, in true leadership is that people don't want to be held accountable. You know, they simply want to know that the actions that they have taken should just be accepted for what they are. And they don't want people questioning or pursuing on a level other than what they set the perimeters of. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that excludes people. People feel like they're on the outside looking in and that they can only get through to the extent that an opening is made for them. If there's no opening, then they're basically shut out. Yeah. And you know what? To be honest with you, when it comes to leadership, you know, there are some inequalities that we really need to assess when we're choosing a leader. Right. We need to, we need to use wisdom. Yeah. We need to go for experience and we need to go for understanding. Yeah. Because 
if we don't have those sort of qualities, and of course, that person have to be in the church for a period of a long time to know the inside out of the church, to understand the rules and the regulation, to understand the people yes. in order to lead effectively. But when we have to take somebody off the street that we don't know to come in and lead our service who is sleeping with, with, the, with the sisters in the church or, or sleeping with the brothers in the church or gossiping behind each other's back, Come on now, that's not leadership. No, it's not. That's not leadership. And there's a lot of there's a lot of misleadership in churches today. You know? If you talk too loud, they say, Well, you're not for us, you're against us. It's almost like being outside in society, you where you can't even express yourself properly. Well, the church is an organization, and organizations are bound by rules. They're bound by hierarchy. And we talked about that last yeah, week. They're they're bound by people who have authority over another group of people, people who make decisions, you know, based on, on their priorities. And in a lot of cases, the church is not as unified as people would like it to be. No. And sometimes we see the failure of the church is that it really doesn't meet the needs of people. No. And, and that's it an honest need, way. It meets yeah. the need of society. It meets because, uh, because also too, they're operated on the a charitable umbrella and the supportive organization. And so they're more of a people pleaser than a God pleaser. They go according to societal standard, you know, and you can't be a leader and operating in that way. You have to be able to say no and mean no. If you don't agree with certain standard that society is saying you should operate your church under, That's you right. know, and the church has to be welcoming. It has to, to allow for people you know, with all kinds of situations and conditions, it has to be welcoming to them. Yeah. And there is still a part of the church that can be judgmental. It can be confining. Very. And it does not necessarily make allowances for people to just freely enter its confines and look for the kind of answers that they're pursuing. Exactly. Exactly. And so when they're saying that more young people should come to church, yes, you invited them. But then when you invite them, you also judging them, which put them right back out the door. So we have to have a church that is supportive. We have to have a church that really meet people where they're at. We have to have church members who are not, you have to remember that you weren't born sinless. You were born a sinner. We were all shaped in our mother's womb in sin. And so when we find Christ, just like you have, you have to, like, you have to embrace us. You know what I mean? And so a lot of people are turning away from church because the way some Christians look at unbelievers, the way some Christians look at Christians themselves, and it's a lot of judgment. And there was no need for any judgment in the, in the house of God. You cannot judge anyone. You cannot. God is the only one who can judge. And so you leave the judgment. You leave the, the, the hypocrisy. You leave all that stuff outside. And, and you need to dwell in a place where it's, it's humbling, it's united, and it's just God presence we need in that place. Yes, we do. And we know how important spirituality is, but unfortunately we see that the mistakes that the church has made will haunt them to a certain level. And they will have to, to, to gain the public's trust, they will have to address some of these issues. Yeah. And they'll have to take responsibility for the mistakes that were made. 
You know, in Canada right now, we're dealing with the issue of residential schools and, you know, the death of children because of these schools. And it's a very political subject, so we won't go into it. But needless to say, people are looking for answers and people are looking, how could a church manage an environment like that and make so many mistakes? Mm -hmm. So this is really why leadership is important. Now, the third issue we wanted to talk about was the invisibility of faith. Mm-hmm. Now, I really like that one, Deb. Why don't you start on, the, on that subject? Because I well, think you I have really, some good points. Yes, I really love this invisibility of faith. And, you know, in Hebrews 11, it talks so much about faith. You know, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lead not into your own understanding. Like that is just the mindset of a person who needs to have faith. Like the simple truth is that we all want to see things materialize. We all want to see it. And we've been told how many times that if you don't see it, you don't hear it, then it's not real. You know what I mean? But that's what faith is. It's the things that you don't see. It is. And for me, it's been such a hard concept for me to grasp. Like when I look at it and I I put it in my own head, I get so confused with it. But I thought I would simplify it for myself by saying that we do need faith, but we need less unbelief. Mm-hmm. So I think that that is the key, that, that you can believe and you can disbelieve at the same time. Like you can say, oh, I'm believing, you know, for, for a financial windfall. And then you can look at your bank account and see you've got less than a hundred bucks in there well. and you don't know how you're going to make it. So it's like you're believing for that miracle that you've been praying for. Yep. But the reality is, is so far removed from that, that you do have that. Well, how am I going to survive on this? So your, your, your disbelief is, is real. Well, the simple truth is that we all want to be seen and heard and the faces and names that exist, you know, is always visible. We've been taught that if we're not able to see or hear something, like I said earlier, or someone, it means that it doesn't exist. But faith is really about embracing the invisible simply because the invisible is the precursor of everything that is visible. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. But as I say, it's it's so hard that when you 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 place your belief in something that is not tangible, because as you say, we need to touch, feel, see things for them to be real to us. Mm-hmm. And when we can't do that, all of a sudden, it, it does become kind of elusive. And we think, well, you know, how can I really put my trust in something that I have no way of knowing how it's going to materialize? So... This is why I'm saying that you really have to have less unbelief so that you can reinforce your belief system and say, um, I'm just going to totally that. So even when your mind is talking to you, you have to talk back mm-hmm. and say, no, I do believe this. Mm-hmm. I know this is going to come to pass. Shut mm-hmm. up. Stop mm-hmm. telling me it won't. Mm-hmm. It will because I believe it and I'm placing my faith in this. And you're going to hear the negative voices that are going to tell you, oh, forget it. There's no way that that could ever materialize. That is why the mind is so crucial in this process, because the mind will talk you out of it and it will encourage this disbelief. Well, believe it or not, we all have this negative committee that gathers in our mind on a daily basis. And we need to tell that committee to shut up and sit down. Yes. You know, because it's it's there to just tell us we can't do this or we can't achieve that. And to be honest with you, when we think about faith, And we want to measure it to what we can see and what we can hear and what we can touch. We can't see tomorrow. We can't touch tomorrow. We can't even feel tomorrow. 
But why do we say and believe we're going to wake up tomorrow? Because we have faith. Because we have faith. So if we can have that small amount of faith to know that we're going to wake up tomorrow and go to work, why can't we have faith and believe in that God is going to provide all our needs, that God is actually present in our life, that God is actually the creator of this entire universe, that God is actually alive, like he's present. Why can't we believe that? Why can't we believe that Christ came and died for our sins? Why can't we believe that he's gone to prepare a place for us? And when he come again, he'll receive us unto ourselves. Why can't we believe that we can do all things through Christ who strengthen us? Why can't we believe that we were born for a purpose? And, and the beautiful thing is, is that Jesus knows that our faith will be weak. And he prepares for that because he accepts both weak faith and strong faith. And he says there's no sense in quarreling or disputing over it. It's just a question that we all have what is called the measure of faith. Everybody has it. And faith, even as small as a mustard seed, Mm -hmm. and that's a tiny little seed, can provide the miracle that you're looking for. But you just have to believe. So like you just said, Deb, you have to speak what you believe. You have to say, I am going to see this come to pass. And when you hear the negative voices, you are a liar. You're trying to confuse me. Mm -hmm. You're trying to manipulate me. I don't believe you. I know who I trust. I know who I'm obedient to. And you are a liar. And you know who you are. You know who you are. You know what I mean? Like the devil is there to kill, steal, and destroy. And when we let him, that's how he wins. And that's what takes away our faith. That's what takes away our visibility. It's almost like when you drive in, you can't see a blind spot. And that's why you have these side mirrors to help you. Yeah. That's what fate is. Your, your blinders. Put your blinders out mm-hmm. and then you will see. Okay. What's the next one we're going to talk about? Pressures of life. Oh my God. Like... How do I even start that one? That's Where a, are all the pressures coming from? We're all Where are all the pressures coming from that we can't even deal with? Intense stress and pressure. They're they're coming from everywhere. They come from our families. They they're in they're in ourselves. You know, the 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 way we view ourselves, the value or the lack of value we give ourselves provides incredible pressure for us. You know, uh the people that we surround ourselves with you know, uh, predominantly in our own homes. That's a huge source of pressure for us. And, you know, uh, then I would say the jobs we have, obviously. You know, it's becoming harder and harder for people to make a living these days. Everything is changing. And society is becoming more unfair. Mm-hmm. I'm just reading today when I looked at the, in, the richest people in 2021. That's gone up 13% in the United States over mm-hmm. last year. There's something like 725 billionaires in the United States, followed closely by over 600 in China. Mm-hmm. So more and more people have a lot of money while other people are in a position of, you know, their life is a little bit closer to the edge in many respects. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it is, it is, it is, there's a lot of pressure to uh to sustain yourself and there's a lot of pressure just to make it through each and every day well when we talk about pressure and how that actually would affect a christian life with god and removing them further out of the church it's almost like we like we talk about faith just now having strong faith or having weak faith so when your faith is weak 
we also have to remember we have other weaknesses in our lives that the devil knows about that he uses to get our attention. You know, the spirit is always willing to obey God, but the flesh is weak to our commitment to God. And that is where temptation usually strikes. So when we see, we have to strengthen and protect ourselves where we are weak because a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. And if Solomon, the wisest man could fall, so can we. So can we. And I, I, there's, this is a, a scripture which I would even ask you to explain because this is very powerful when it says, what is not of faith is sin. So that's, that's very, very powerful. Yeah. Cause I, I really never thought of the implications of that, but that really means that you're, you're going against God completely. Absolutely. If you don't believe. Exactly. And that is his, his mission is for us to believe. And we have no choice but to believe because neither one of us can see God. But all we have to do is believe in him. And he said, those who believe in me shall be with me. But those who don't will be cast away. And you know what? It really, like I said, like it, it really takes you as an individual with your strong belief of faith to believe. Take that leap of faith and believe in God. Because if you don't believe in something, you're going to fall for anything. And we really need to stay grounded. If we want to stay closer to God, there is no reason for us to stray away from God. There should be no reason. The same reason that brought us to God should be the same reasons that keeps us with God. But yet a lot of Christians are still falling away by their own lusts, by their own desires. Or as you say, sometimes people, they, they choose to serve God because they want a certain outcome in their life. Okay. And when they don't get it, then they move away. They stray from God because they say, I can't believe this. You know, I asked for it. I hope for it. It didn't come. But as you said earlier, maybe you weren't at a position in your life where you could handle what you're asking for. Yeah. But God knows that, that you haven't perhaps matured or reached a point in your spiritual journey. If that, if God was to give you that, you would lose it quickly because you don't have the capacity to maintain it. So that's why you haven't received it. Not because God doesn't hear your prayers, but because he gives what is best for you at the time that you need it. But also too, I've realized that a lot of people came to God in a, from a crisis. They, 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 they reach out to God from a crisis, whether it's a tragedy a loss in the family, a financial loss, it An doesn't illness, matter. Anything, anything yep. they reach out to God in, in, in a form of desperacy. And when you're desperate and you think the only solution is to go to God, but you find yourself becoming resilient from your experience and you feel like you no longer want God or God no longer serve the purpose that you needed him for. That's when you start to fall away. That's when you feel like, Hey, I'm, I'm where I'm at now. So I can just do whatever I want. And I think that's the problem. A lot of people get into Christ for the wrong reason. They get into him for the wrong reason, because to handle this life of Christianity, you have to be able to endure a lot it's a lot. This is not a child's play. It's a lot of responsibility. You have to be confirmed to holiness. Holiness is the key and holiness is what people don't have within them. That's why they drift away. They don't know how to be holy. Very true. Yep. They don't know how to be holy. Well, now let's talk about self-reflection. Hmm. Self-reflection, Jackie. 
Deb, I was thinking that it's almost like people carry the things that hurt them as a badge in their life, you know, that instead of saying that I am hurt, I would rather say I'm healed and that I have reached a point where I'm not parked at the same place that I've always been parked at, but I'm moving and living according to the potential that I find through God. So I'm thinking that we have to look not only at the fruit, but also at the roots of our problems or our issues, you know, to be able to grow. And remember that we are made perfect in, we're made perfect by God in our weaknesses. Okay, so we got to practice uh, getting the values that, that give our lives a sense of worth and purpose, you know, and, and we really have to pray for divine intervention. I think that's what directs us. And I think that, that this is one of the things that, the church is not doing. It's it's not helping us to recognize our own authority and our own power in making decisions for our lives and, and guiding ourselves along the right path. Or even just having us acknowledge our own sinfulness. You see, self-reflection is the ability to witness and evaluate our own cognitive, emotional, and behavioral processes. You see, when you have to go through a process in your life and you don't do any self-reflection, in order for you to take on the accountability, because accountability is such a huge part. The reason why a lot of people don't take on responsibility and accountability for their action is because there is no self-reflection. When you do self-reflection, you're reflecting on the, on, on the possible cases of what, should, what could I have done better? How could I be a better person? What, what, what is the next step that I want to take? You need to keep asking yourself questions, elevate yourself, try to become a better version of yourself. That is self-reflection. And when you reach that point and you can say, I'm going to accept this responsibility or take this accountability for my actions, that's when you become the better part of yourself because you're not trying to use anybody as a scapegoat for your actions. You're not trying to pawn off your responsibility onto somebody else. You actually taking that on because you know you contributed a lot to it. You contributed a lot to this storm. And now that it start raining, you don't need to be complaining, but you need to suck it up because you know you started it. Mm. Well, it, it's, it's, I, I can see my own self-reflection in the comments you make because that's something that I've started to introspect and do a lot more recently is to look at my own responsibility and certain outcomes that I've experienced. Whereas I used to just throw the blame on other people. Now I can really sit back and I can really self-reflect and go inside myself and say, wow, there were quite a few uh, wrong turns that you made and, and bad decisions and, and poor judgments that caused you to be in the position that you were yeah, in. Absolutely. And that's a very, very difficult thing to do. And as you say, it only comes when you really look inward and you really speak to God and say, look, I know I've made mistakes mm -hmm. and I would really like you to know how I'm honestly coming to you and revealing the errors that I've made and asking you to make me a better person. But unless you come clean and are willing, as I say, to get to the root of the problem, you know, you will not bear good fruit. You will not. And that's why self-reflection is so important because you can't fool God. When you go to God and say, forgive me of my sins, he knows, okay, right after you get up, you're going to go back and sin. So you're not really asking for forgiveness for something that you're about to do two seconds later. So your self-reflection could just be that, you know, it's something that you want to say, but it's not something you're going to 
commit to doing. Yes, absolutely. And so that is so much, that is so important. Accountability, accountability, accountability. Like I can't say it enough. We're all accountable for our actions on that day of judgment. When he's about to ask you how you live your life, when you live your life and why you live your life, it's all about accountability. You have to give an account. And if you can't face your accountabilities here, you're not going to be able to do it then. That's right. We, the, the whole purpose of, of this discussion is really to say that, you know, when, although people are falling away from Christ, we want to bring people back to a godly foundation in their life. And to be able to do that, we've got to be obedient to what God wants for our lives. Amen. And we have to find something that is bigger than we are, something that makes us stronger than we actually feel. And we believe that the foundation for that is found in Christ. Absolutely. And this is the best way to end this podcast by letting you know you cannot run away from yourself. You cannot run away from God. There's no way to go. And if you choose him and you choose him honestly, and the funny thing is, no matter how far we run, we still have to end back up with him. We still end up backward because we can't solve our own problems. We can't answer our own question and we can't determine our own future. And so we need Christ no matter where we go, who we're with, where we turn, what we do, no matter how rich, how poor, how good, how bad, how beautiful, how ugly, it doesn't matter what position you take on in your life, you need Christ. There is no contentment without Jesus Christ, without God, without the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. There is no contentment without any of them. I agree wholeheartedly. So that is the essence of our discussion today. We hope you will listen to it maybe more than once and get the essence of this discussion because it really has a lot of significance and it can bring a lot of growth to your your life A lot of spiritual growth. Yes. Amen. Thank you guys for listening. We love you. God bless you. God bless you.